0: Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Dave Childers, Dave is a multifamily broker based in Tennessee and he has brokered over 450 multifamily properties. Additionally, Dave has been investing in real estate for over 15 years and his most recent acquisition was an 86-unit apartment complex in Pensacola, Florida. So thanks so much for being on the show, Dave.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on as a guest.
1: No, for sure. Thank you. Um, what was your background prior to starting to invest in real estate?
0: Uh, um. College dropout. Um, I pretty much went from being a college dropout to doing this. Uh, I did move to Nashville, Tennessee in uh, 2003, I believe, to uh, work in the music business as a, as a road manager uh, for some bands and did that for about a year and a half. And then, um, you know, just decided that bus life and, and, and being on the road was not the life I wanted. Uh, and so started buying flip houses in uh, 2003,
1: four. Okay. And then why did you choose real estate as an investment vehicle going from your background prior?
0: Yeah. You know, I was a finance major. I've always enjoyed learning about money and I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then growing up, uh, I had just some, some family friends who were, were, you know, pretty well off, uh, that either did, you know, construction or real estate sales and, uh, you know again had a high school education weren't you know they didn't have MBAs they weren't you know Harvard grads by any means and they did very well financially and they had freedom and that's really what i saw um you know growing up i had my best friend's mom i think she uh, attended more of my basketball games. She was a, a residential agent had some a couple rental properties. She would take me to basketball practice um, and then I had my father you know and this kind of rich dad poor dad story right um, is you know he had a, a great pharmaceutical job you know pharmaceutical sales rep um, you know I guess what everybody shoots to have um, but you know just this was you know busy all the time had really no time no freedom no flexibility and I really wanted the freedom and flexibility.
1: Yeah, for sure. The older I get, I feel the time freedom is more important than uh, the financial benefits at some point because it's not something you can get back.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's key. You know, I mean, I always said I don't care. You know, it really wasn't a dollar amount what I made. I want to do something I enjoyed, and then I had that freedom and flexibility to do it. So, you know, real estate just fit that. It, you know, and it's not for everybody. Um, I've learned that over the years. You really have to have the kind of the right personality and the right mindset to be a self-employed and then do real estate as well. So, it's it's not cut out for everybody. Okay.
1: Yeah. If you have a nine to five mentality, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to work. My dad was telling me years back and he was self-employed as a real estate investor. And he was saying that, um, you know, if you want to work and stop at five, like real estate, being self-employed is not your thing. It's something that, uh, especially with real estate, where you have tenants, clients, 24 hours active in properties you own, you have to be there unless you have some system in place.
0: Right, and so I guess the freedom is, you. I can be vacationing in Florida or vacationing up at my farmhouse or whatever and still work and be able to take those calls. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, my my family's had to learn that. My kids know, hey, dad's gotta take a business call. You know, they're in the back of the car, be quiet. Uh, You know, let him take this call because him taking these calls allows us to not, you know, have this trip that we're on, but then not Mm -hmm. be in the office. Um, So they they know that and they've they've learned to, uh, you know, work with me on that kind of stuff, so.
1: Nice. So can you tell us about your first couple investments, uh, what they were, what went right and uh, what went wrong? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I started off like a lot of people just buying duplexes. You know, I kind of, that was the, I think that's most people's like logical step. Let's just buy some duplexes and, uh, you know, build a little portfolio and, you know, uh, pay it off, have it all paid for eventually in a couple of years or 20 years. Um, and so that's really where it started. I started uh, teaming up with people, partnering with people um, was before the word syndication, you know, was really popular or raising, you know, all, all that, I'd say sophisticated, right? A guy came mm-hmm. to me and said, I'll buy it with you, you manage it, you know, we traded kind of our our skill set, I was gonna manage the property, he was putting the down payment, and we were, um, you know, uh, we partnered, you know, 50-50 on those, and so we did that a few times, and that's really where it started, um, was duplexes, small duplexes here here in the middle of Tennessee, Nashville area, and and some of them, I was kind of getting out of the flipping and moving into the, um, more of the multifamily or buy and hold strategy. So some of these were actually wholesale deals that I wholesaled to our group. Uh, and then we end up holding them for, you know, five, six years uh, since we've sold them. So that's really where I got my start.
1: So currently, what do you look for when you're underwriting and analyzing properties, your strategy? What's your goals?
0: Yeah, I, you know, what I've learned after selling hundreds of multifamily properties. So, you know, I was an investor first and then a a broker friend here in Nashville said, Dave, you need to start a firm um, that just specializes in selling the smaller to mid-sized multifamily. And so we've kind of carved out a niche over the last 10 years here in Nashville to sell, you know, we've sold, I I don't even know what the number is. It's probably 500 or more. you know, 50 50 a year, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 unit complexes. Um, And so what I've learned doing that is everybody kind of has their different, you know, criteria of what they're looking for. I meet people who are very, very high net worth. They don't want fixer uppers, right? They want something that's turnkey, they don't have time to manage it. Then I mean, I have this friend Ed and I always used to say Ed would buy the house that has the tree growing through it, right? And he did, he'd buy the $12,000 house that had a tree growing through it. He liked that kind of project where I have doctors and attorneys and business owners are like, man, I don't have time for that, right? Um, So my criteria and I had to get over this as a sales agent, right? My criteria of, of what I buy and what I'm selling are probably two different things, um, you know, I'm, I'm a value add guy if I can find it. I like kind of the, what I call like a micro value add. I don't want to do these big renovation projects anymore. Um, you know, I want to tweak little things and create value that way. Um, I'm still that 50 to 100 unit. Um, I, I like those size deals. We know how to run them now. Um, you know, something that still has meat on the bone, um, you know, where there's some uh, mom and pop type, uh, you know, operations going that we can come in there and fix and, and cure those things.
1: So you uh, spoke a little bit about your brokerage and, um, how the niche you have. And that's great. Cause I have, um, I have a friend of mine that has a similar size brokerage here in Florida that with the focus, the niche of what they're focusing on. Cause normally you'll find with, um, multifamily, let's say, uh, in particular, the brokerages will be all over the board. You'll get an email for a seven unit and you'll get an email for, a uh, you know, a 700 unit. So, um, Can you expand on that business and uh, why you started other than having the niche? um, What were the other reasons when you were out in the marketplace beforehand?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I tell people we're a hybrid, right? We got commercial and residential and we're kind of in this middle. Uh, I, I tell people residential agents kind of need to stay out of our space because they don't have a clue. Most of them, let me just disclaimer, most of them, some of them do, but most of them have no idea. You know, you'll see the terminology cash cow or, you know, they'll throw all these cliche terms around and you're like, you don't even know, you have no vacancy rate in there, you have no reserved, you have, you know, you're running at 100% occupied and, and they don't know how to run a cap rate, in on a gross number. So again, I, I, you know, it frustrates me a lot. You know, these residential agents, because I think, you know, they don't, they, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna screw with some people's life, right? If they sell them a multifamily property, you know, thinking you're hiring an agent who knows what they're doing. Um, sorry, there's ambulances going by my office. Um, you know, you sell a sell a property, and you've got a client who's trusting you to, to that you're providing professional knowledge, and you really don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then you've got commercial agents that hey are like, man, I sell 50 million. Actually, my buddy said I've got billionaires on my email list. I cannot sell them or put out a, a 10 unit complex, right? So we've just kind of created a great referral business. Um, you know, a lot of those guys they get the call from the 10 10 unit you know operator, and you know they end up referring it to me. And and I again now I. I've kind of after doing this so many years really figured out the differences, how you finance, how you manage a 10 unit versus a 100 unit. Um, and so the bigger brokers and, and operators will call me sometimes and or appraisers and say, how would you underwrite this? Or how would you look at it? How would you manage it? And start kind of um, picking my brain and asking us those questions. So you know, there's a lot of differences though. I mean, you, you buy an eight, $900,000 apartment building, you're gonna have to probably get a bank loan, right? Mm-hmm. Where you go to a million five or a million two apartment building and now you're getting, you're qualifying for Freddie or Fannie SBL. So, you know, financing's different, managing some different, you know, you can't have a, a property manager sitting on site on a 20 unit complex. So you gotta get a little bit more creative um, when you're doing it. So that's, that's what we've carved out. Um, You know, I had a real estate license. I was a residential agent when I first started buying multifamily and I hated that. I hated taking people, you know, sorry, but I just, I'm not a warm and fuzzy type person. I like numbers. I like returns. I like making money, right? And so, I I didn't like when I walked somebody in a, a fixer upper house. I knew they were walking into $50,000, $60,000 $50,000, $60,000 in equity and they didn't want it because they didn't like the paint color, right? I just like want to pull my hair out. So, you know, you kind of find where, that's what I love about real estate, You kind of find what you enjoy doing. I enjoy numbers. I enjoy showing people how to increase the value, how to increase the NOI, you know, how to kind of play around with cap rates and all that. So, it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of found me, I guess, in, in a way.
1: Yeah, no, no, and I I can uh, side with your friend Ed there. I once bought a property with a hole. Uh, you could look right into the trees through the roof.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
1: Uh, before I closed it, I had one of my contractors come over and uh, drape the whole house with a a blue tarp because I was like, oh, we're buying this thing, we're putting above asking all this kind of stuff. And um, a lot of people don't want to, you know, they don't um, they don't want to deal with it. They don't know what they're dealing with, and especially higher net worth people that are looking more for a stabilized property. It's going to be a whole different. Um, a whole different asset they're looking for, right. but um, so you work with a lot of new and seasoned investors within your brokerage. What mistakes do you see investors uh, commonly make?
0: Um, oh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on coaching people. Um, really, I mean, that's kind of this residential investment advisors come in. You know, we don't just help people buy a property and say, well, good luck, you know, we'll see you in a you know, couple of years. We really hold their hands. So I've had a really good success rate with our clients just, you know, being very successful uh, in this business. Cause again, we're providing them with all these resources and I'm always a, just a phone call away, right? Um, to answer questions for them. Um, you know, if they're self-managing, I see mistakes when they're self-managing, you know, maybe sticking with a management company longer than they should, um, cutting ties with them. Um, I, again, I, well, let me, I do have one. The biggest one I see is not raising rents, right? And leaving a lot of money on the table when it comes to cash flow, uh, not charging additional fees, right? It's kind of your classic mom and pop, right? You're going to go and you find a mom and pop operation and they've got the property 100% occupied mistake number 1 and then be there you know way off the market rents right and they've they've become friends or you know with the tenants and they don't really want to push rent so that's probably the most common mistake i see among people um, you know is that 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 mm-hmm. those kind of two two things
1: yeah no i see that Yeah, it's when they're when you're penciling it out and you can see it the the rents are below and you can see how they've been managing it is not really managing it but just not, um, just not raising rents and just keeping it very, people aren't going to leave. Right. So if you keep the rents really low and they go, Oh, I always have a hundred percent occupancy and everything's so easy and everybody's nice. Well, if you're paying 25% below market value for your rent, you'd be, you'd be really nice too. And you would never call them when, when something broke, but that's not how you maximize uh, you know, a property.
0: Well, there, there was one time we were selling a, a small complex and, and, and the owners, you know, I said, look, you're, you're like $200 off market on these these one bedroom units. And, and you know, we kind of went back, well, I don't know. I said, you, you really, you're, you're exactly right. You don't know. You don't know what the market rent is. I said, it could be a $1,000 more. You really have no clue because you've never tested the waters to figure out where that market rent is. So sure enough, we sold the property. There was four of those tenants that were $200, 250 off market rent you know, they sent them all four notices saying we're we're taking your rent up to market. Three of them out of four decide to stay, right? Mm. You know, so just a quick calculation, 200 times three tenants times 12 months and then apply a five or six cap rate, you know, it's probably $100,000 in in value that owner lost. Um, You know, that again, where we deal in this kind of space of small multifamily, we deal with a lot of mom and pops. We're not, you know, dealing with, you know, the syndicator or the big, large firms that own thousands of doors. Um, mm-hmm. So I've met people that don't have P&Ls. They don't have a separate bank account. They don't have leases. They they have leases, but they're out of date and they got verbal agreements with um, tenants on what they pay. Um, so again, we've actually got a buyer's guide if anybody wants to, e- or a seller's guide. If anybody wants to email me, I'll, sell, I'll, I'll send this, uh, just a seller's guide, just kind of the top 10 things that I think you need to have um, when you're getting ready to sell. And some of it's simple and some of it you're gonna think, what, you, you've seen that? And it, I have. Um, and it ends up costing the sellers sometimes millions of dollars in value by not having bank statements or P&Ls or rent rolls. I mean, that's some, some of the most simple stuff. Um, and so we we try to, you know, if somebody's thinking about selling, we're, we're trying to work with them to make sure they have all these, you know, ducks in a row to get ready to list it.
1: Right, because if you're buying that, you're gonna have to recreate those documents. So we were underwriting a <laughs> property years back, and their accounting was done on the side of their business bank statements. Oh my and, god! <laughs> and you're like, you got to be kidding me. So if I'm gonna get a deal on it, we'll go through and we'll, we'll put this into a spreadsheet. But it just it just goes to show you that they didn't even put it. They wouldn't even open up, you know, your free Excel spreadsheet and uh, pop some numbers in are just working out who owed what. On a, uh, on a bank statement, which is normal. If you don't have to account to anyone and you, it's your property, you own 100% and right. you just need to pay taxes, insurance and your mortgage, um, no one else is looking over your shoulder if those are paid. So, right. Right. Um, so if, a, if a new investor, let's say, reached out to your brokerage, interested in investing in properties, what could they do to show you that they were a serious investor that, uh, you know, would warrant your time showing them properties, sending them properties, everything you do with uh, your clients?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot about, you know, effort, right? Are they just going to call us and, and, you know, expect us to send them, you know, the, the best deal right away, right? When I've got a, a huge buyers list and, uh, you know, seasoned people that I've worked with for years. Uh, we were just on a Zoom call a couple uh, nights ago uh, with Julie Holly, another a lady I know, and she... we're talking about the same thing. How do you get into brokers? You know, uh, make a point to go visit them, you know, get in the car. Like if you're in a different market, you really need to go there and spend time. So we have people from California, you know, they'll fly to Nashville and spend the weekend with us. We'll show them properties. We might not have the property that they're going to end up buying but we'll show them something that would fit into kind of their criteria, right? You know, this is our price range, you know, this is the kind of, you know, we want to see or B property. We like, you know, newer construction versus old uh, and, and we'll spend that time with them. But again, they're showing us, the effort. Um, I'm actually, I've got a coaching student right now and, you know, we're, we're looking at other markets. I'm kind of teaching him these things. You got to go there. You got to meet with brokers. Go, go look at properties. Um, you know, give them feedback on, on what what you're seeing and what why you can't pay, you know, a four and a half cap for that property. Give them that feedback, and they'll start seeing that you actually know what you're talking about um, and that you're responsive and that you're serious. But again, it's follow up with the brokers. Um, you know, we have people that call us, one time, and then they think that they're just, you know, on our list. I mean, I've got We can't keep up with, you know, when I'm buying, when you're buying. Oh, I don't have the money. I'm tend, you know, like you, you've got to keep following up. Not bug them, not call them every day, but you know, maybe, you know, every other week, three weeks. If you're serious, you know, don't waste their yeah. time. You're not really going to be ready to move on things. Um, so I'd say those, are, you know, don't call and say I'm looking for owner finance deals, right? I mean, those are, you know, I went to a seminar last night um, and don't BS us. That's, I hate that, right? I mean, I've been doing this long enough. Uh, you know, I've got a, a large, a pretty decent portfolio of my own. I, I can sniff you out so quick if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? So I'd rather have you call me and say, I don't know anything. I'm getting into this. Will you help me? Versus... um um you know, somebody that's going to spout out all, all these terms that they think they know what they mean, but they don't. Um, and, and I think the real genuine people in this business that I've met, if you have that attitude, they will take the time with you um, and teach you and, and lead you uh, in the right direction.
1: Right, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. The With commercial brokers, you can use a good commercial broker for finding Um, All the other parts of your team, really, with all the referrals and everything with it. And um, when people ask me about speaking to brokers, I would always say, well, figure out, be very exact in what you want. Um, I like this city. I like these neighborhoods. I want six to 18 units. I want this. And I remember, like you said, going and meeting them. I went one time to meet a broker and I left and uh, I left with an 18 unit off market deal. um, that they were giving me, uh, before it went up and they listed it. But, uh, so it's very, very powerful. And I asked him, you want me to sign something? He said, you know, no, don't worry about it. And it was like the amount of trust you had with just having coffee with someone is amazing. And, um, I mean, that's a little bit more difficult today where we are, but, um, it's something that, uh, you know, you can do it in other ways, but kind of being exact of what you want, because someone says, I want to buy multifamily. Well, is that 60 units? Is that six units? Is that 600 unit pro- uh, portfolio? I mean, it doesn't, you know, it can, that doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it student housing? Is it class D? Is it Litech? Is it low income? Is it class A, you know, urban? I mean, what what is it, right? You know, and so, yeah, I think that's very, very good, very good information right there. Be, be as specific as you can uh, on what you're looking for. And then, yeah, you know, if you're serious, then you should be able to be serious enough to come down here and meet with me and put the effort don't, you know, well, I got a nine to five. Well, I'm sorry. Like if you're talking about buying a couple million dollar asset, you should be able to find the time to come meet with me and my team. and then yeah, resources. That's a great thing. You know, we try to, you know, when we're getting ready to list a property, we're doing it right now, you know, we'll go to our insurance agent that does mostly multifamily, you know, we'll go to our Freddie and Fannie lenders. We'll get the property manager on board and really try to, you know, almost have all these resources. So, you know, we're really just looking for someone who you know brings a down payment and qualifies and, uh, you know, really create the whole business or help them, you know, do as much as we can on the front end.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, speaking about having other resources, um, it's one thing that we don't hear too much of with uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand uh, in regards to asset management and how important is asset management or or managing your property manager when i say asset managing uh, when investing in real estate
0: yeah i mean i think this is one of the things that maybe is lacking in education right now Um, and i've been trying to do some asset management and just just basic classes here in nashville is because i think you can go to a seminar and you can hear about financing and meeting with brokers but you know, meeting property managers and the maintenance guy and understanding what their day looks like mm-hmm. and, you know, the expectations that you can put on them. They're, they're great. I mean, they can be, your team makes or breaks you, but they're not Superman and Superwoman, right? They can only, you know, there's only certain things they can do. So, um, you know, get in there. I I take people through our shop and show them, you know, what kind of uh, extra things we have in their tools. You know, when somebody walks in the, the, the office, how are they greeted? Where's our make ready board? All those kinds of things. I think if you can understand this business kind of, and that's why I tell people, I learned it from the inside out. So my first large asset, I was the the property manager, the maintenance guy, the lawnmower, the pool guy. I knew how to snake out lines uh, for years and so, I was a leasing agent. I mean, all those different roles I've played. So, I kind of, ha- I mean, I'm not a- an expert, but I know enough now uh, to, um, you know, give direction and, and know what I'm asking for. So, again, get to know how the business works on a day-to-day operation uh, is key um, because it's, you know, it's going to protect you in the long run if you, you actually know what's happening on site.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I self-managed my properties for uh, many years before having property management a third party property management come in, and I was uh, you know staking the lines, I was um, you know everything with bleeding out furnaces, you know the oil furnaces, the whole nine yards of all that stuff um, getting a call on Christmas Eve and all these kind of things. And I think with people today, or I see it a lot with a lot of the training programs is that there's not much emphasis on self managing or learning the business from the inside. Um, you know, you might know about what it says in the book, but you don't know when you're looking face to face with a tenant and they're signing a lease and you're showing them the parts of the lease and what they should do. Uh, you've never collected rent that's late. I mean, yes, you got the property manager do that, but knowing it is a, is a very important part of the business when when you're investing in the real estate or have someone on your team that has that experience.
0: And it makes you appreciate a good manager that much more, right? I mean, you're like, I don't, I, I don't, I'll pay you more, right? Because you're just so good, and, and I know how valuable you are because I've sat in that seat. I know getting those calls at midnight are not fun, so let's figure out how to not get those calls. And you know, so it makes you really appreciate the people on site uh, that work for you. And you know, I, I'm a. It's funny. I have become like a tenant advocate, right? Like. I, I believe in taking very, very good care of our tenants because they're the ones that pay our bills. And so, you know, with the firm, I've I've fired clients who I find out after the fact are slum lords and not fixing mm-hmm. things. I don't want my name on that, right? These are the people, you know, that, that pay our mortgages, pay the salaries, pay the taxes for us. Um, and so we, we, I'm a big fan of, of taking care of uh, a good, good care of your tenant. So, and, and a good manager, again, if they're doing that, you know, you, you definitely need to show them appreciation for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what recurring traits do you see in your most successful property owners um, that you guys work with, whether through the brokerage and um, or outside of it?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I should share this, but we actually kind of have an internal grading of people. In the <laughs> uh, because I've been doing this so long, we kind of just know personality traits. I'm not going to share them all. But, um, you know, there, there are a lot of them, you know, somebody that's an entrepreneur already, right, um, that has a business, started a business, is running a business. They're, they're a very easy person to say, hey, you know, here. Because essentially, what we tell people when we sell even a duplex, right, we're selling a small business, um, and so, you know, or 10, 10 unit or 100 unit, every property is a small business. So, um, people that have already started businesses and kind of know how to set up LLCs and talk to insurance agent and kind of knock tasks out like that, um, you know, honestly, they move up to the top of our list, right? Um, we have people that I'm not going to name them but have certain types of jobs um, that are kind of risk adverse and um, mm-hmm. they, they can never, they're just, they're, they overanalyze things, right? And uh, Rod and I've talked about this at the Mastermind. They're, they're compounding problems onto each other. So, you know, they're sending us offers at 50 cents on the dollar um, and they'll never get past that. And so, uh, you, know, um, you know, our best clients, again, are, I'd say are, are business owners and, and entrepreneurial type of people. Um, and then there's these people that you just, I mean, they're just never, you know, yeah. going get to get over some of these, these concerns they have.
1: Yeah. The analysis paralysis or where I see it too, when I speak to new investors is the, um, uh, they get really cheap on setting up stuff. So they don't want to set up like, I'm like, you guys have another LLC for this or that. And they go, wow, I can't use this and that. And the amount of time I just spent with you explaining this, uh, $200 that you're spending. I mean, this is all the whole process of what you're working on. You know what I mean? And people, some people just don't see that. They don't see value in certain things that I think small business owners and or uh, real estate investors, um, see because they've, uh, they experienced it before they know people that experience issues and they know what has to be done to, um, you know, to, uh, provide against that.
0: So, so two things, when, when you come to meet with us here in Nashville, we're going to sit down with you and we're going to have a probably an hour conversation and we're, we'll dig down to see if, you know, it's a good fit. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, what your risk tolerance is, right? I, I tell people I've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in mortgage payments, you know, that I, I, I sleep great at night, right? There's a lot of people that could not take on that risk, right? Um, so, A, we want to sell you something that, you know, you're gonna be able to lay your head down at night, fall asleep, aren't gonna worry, be a worry wart about this asset, right? I, the last thing I want to sell you something that, you know, your life is a miserable because you you can't, Uh, uh, and stop worrying about it. Um, So we're gonna spend that kind of time with you. Um, And that kind of goes back into what kind of asset you're gonna buy. Is it, you know, this nice, clean, perfect, you know, maybe a higher end B property, or, you know, you can lay your head at night owning a D property. I mean, it really, you know, is, um, and we'll just show you options. And then secondly, what I've kind of created here in Nashville is, you know, if if you want to buy something small on your own, great. Um, but if you just want to place money, then I then I have Cedar Rock Capital, and that's kind of what we're doing more capital raising for larger assets. So you're like, I understand the concept. I want to be in multifamily, but I don't want to be active, like owning a duplex through RIA. Well, we've got kind of alternatives for you.
1: Yeah, and that's usually the right way for a lot of investors that have a very demanding nine to five. Um, and their w two is taking up a lot of time where they have a successful business where it doesn't make sense for you to come out and have the meetings with you and analyze the properties and put together the rest of the people, uh, to, uh, you know, complete the deal, complete the puzzle and, uh, kind of get it running how it's supposed to with no experience where it'd be easier. Just, uh, building out your current business and your current job.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, right. exactly. You, you know, I've got a, a, a guy I know, and he's got a great successful business. I'm like, man, you just need to keep producing income and then use, you know, multifamily. You, you've got the concepts, you understand, you've seen what I've done, you know, but use that as your investment tool, your passive investment tool. Right. Um, mm. But your, your, your moneymaker, your, 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 your income producing is, is the small business and business that you're starting to grow. So, you know, keep focusing on that.
1: So what do you think are the main factors that contribute to your success?
0: Oh, man. Um, I listen. I have a lot of mentors, so, like, I, I would not be here without you know, people who have – you know, those guys that first partnered with me, right. They, they were house flippers out in Northern California. And they said, Dave, you know, probably one of the best things that we can say about you is that we taught you a skill and then you actually went out and did it. They said, the reason we charge people 10, 15, $20,000 to teach them this is because most people don't take us serious and they'll never do anything with it. So we make them pay us to, to, to show how, you know, serious they are. And so, you know, they taught me about house flipping. And the next thing I did is I came back here to Nashville after, you know, out there a couple of weeks with them and found a, you know, lake house that we ended up selling for $650,000, which are, was our first flip when I was 24, 25. So, um, you know, I think that I, I just get shit done. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Um, but I just, I don't wait around. Right. I, I, I know time is of the essence. Let's do it. Let's knock it out. Problem solve. Um, you know, that I'd say, that's one of the, the things that I, I, you know, contribute to some of my success. So.
1: Okay. Awesome. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your companies?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I always do this. I was on Rod's podcast, like I was episode number four, like four years ago now. So I give out my cell phone number It's 615-479-8737. I'll assume you'll put that somewhere. Um, you can email me, Dave at ria com. Um, so you can check out residential investment advisors. We're working on a new site. Uh, find me on Facebook, uh, Dave Childers. Um, Cedar Rock Capital, cedarrockcap.com, uh, the capital raising company. So, uh, but again, if you just want to text me, call me, find me on Facebook, uh, message me through Facebook, I'd love to connect.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for being on the show today. And I will put all those links in the bomb. So looking forward to connect with you in the future.
0: Thanks again for uh, you know, putting on this podcast and having guests like us. Thank
1: you. Have a great day. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.